Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I was told when I was recruited for this uh, opportunity that uh, you were dealing with a series of sermons on technology. And, you know, we have been very much dependent on technology over the past two years. Uh, Most churches now broadcast services, and I know that that's often been in the dream of churches, but the whole dream got accelerated. And if you look at the back and in the room at the back, you'll see how all the technology works and it can be a bit befuddling. But technology shapes us. Just watch people walking down the street. This is the new posture. (laughs) They're not looking at what's around them. Often they run into people or lampposts. And it's a highlight and awakening experience. Martin Luther, on this day, 504 years ago, didn't celebrate Halloween. On this day, he nailed to the church door in Wittenberg a list of 95 talking points, what he called theses. He wanted to begin a debate. He wanted people to think about the fact that they were not their own, but that they belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. They didn't have to buy his love and his mercy by the purchase of an indulgence. They could just simply come on bended knee and experience grace, provided that they were repentant. On this day, Martin Luther put shape to a movement that had already been growing with people like John Huss and others, had been growing, but how he put it into a shape and, and it began what we today called the Protestant Reformation. We are a Reformed church, but I have a question for you. How many of you have ever read one of the 95 Theses? One person. Two people. Do you know what the first one... Well, obviously, you don't know what the first one's going to (laughs) say. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the lifestyle of all believers should be one of repentance. That's number one. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent... He intended that the lifestyle of all believers should be one of repentance. When he made that known, he used and was blessed by the reality of technology. Gutenberg had developed a a number of years before Luther came on the scene. Gutenberg had developed something called the movable type printing, printing press. And as a result... His theses could be duplicated many times and quite easily, and they began to be distributed to ordinary folk. And once Luther got busy with the Reformation, one of the things that he did is he took the Textus Receptus, which was the Latin version of the scriptures, and he put it into vernacular German. 
And as he did that, it got published on printing presses, the technology that Gutenberg and others had developed. And the scriptures were put into the hands of people. And the gospel came alive in people's hearts and lives. And the movement continues today. But it continues in the reality of a very personal faith. A very personal faith. A faith that is summarized for us in the words that we share together. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And then note all the pronouns. That I am not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sin with his precious blood. But we live in a time when the influence of the Christian faith is waning in the culture that we call North America or in the culture that we call first world countries in Europe and other places. It is exploding in third world countries like in China. Well, China is not a third world country, but it's a more remote country. But in places like Africa, the gospel is exploding because people recognize that life is difficult. People recognize that they need a savior, one who will walk alongside of them and empower them. And in our culture, that recognition is waning, but it can change beginning today. And it can change if it begins with you. And you may say, well, who am I? Well, that's one of the questions I would like to research with you this morning. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I think my memory serves me correctly. It's page 1852 in your uh, pew Bibles or in that environment. As Paul writes to Timothy, you need to understand, and, the, and some of Paul's circumstances will come to the foreground. But as Paul writes to Timothy, he is in prison in Rome. Now, that's not unusual for Paul. He often ended up in prison because he put the teeth of the leaders of the Roman Empire on edge. He proclaimed not only that Jesus was Savior, which didn't get him into much trouble, frankly. I mean, nobody really cared that Jesus claimed to be Savior unless you knew your own sin. What got Paul into trouble was that he claimed that Jesus was Lord and that he had authority that superseded the authority of the emperor. And as a result, in a short period of time after this letter was written, Paul would be taken out and would be executed. So Paul is in a time of transition and new leaders have to be raised up. But as the text will also reveal, new leaders could be scarce. Two people will be described in this text as people who have deserted Paul. And as in the result of that desertion, things are 
weakened. There is an increased struggle. One person is cited as a person who has gone out of his way to make a difference. And Paul is now writing to Timothy because he recognizes who Timothy is. And I think many of us can identify with Timothy. At the time of this writing, he's still a fairly young person. Doesn't have a whole lot of experience. As you read both of Paul's letters to Timothy, you will recognize that Timothy is not what we would call an Olympic specimen. A person of robust health and strength and energy and drive. Now, Timothy is rather weak, often prone to illness. But there's also, you know, it struck me this morning that the gentleman who spoke about the side-by-side -side ministry described himself as an introvert, as a person who more reluctant to step forward than not. That may surprise you, but a lot of preachers, myself included, are rather strong introverts. You say, nah, that's not possible. Look, here you're standing in front of people and you just simply talk. You're not an introvert. Except my wife will know that when I get home, I will fall asleep in the chair. Imagine what happened on Sunday evening when we held two services. All right, because it just depends a lot of energy. And so I am most comfortable at my desk all by myself with a book and a pen and a piece of paper and just thinking. But God said, nah, you got to do something more. And so Timothy is fairly shy. He's an introvert. He, he prefers background. But Paul needs a leader. Paul needs someone who'll step forward. Paul needs a defender of the gospel. Paul needs you and me in our culture to step forward on this day of reformation. Because when our Lord and Master Jesus said, repent, he intended that the life of all believers should be a lifestyle of repentance. And a lifestyle of repentance is not just simply saying once, I am sorry for my sin and Lord Jesus come to be my savior. And that's often what in our culture Christianity has become. It has become a ticket to heaven. Just a, a ticket to heaven. When you believe, well, then you're going to go to heaven. And God says, but you are called to have dominion over this whole earth. It's not just simply a call to say, I'm sorry for my sin. But it's a call to engage in a lifestyle of repentance, a dying away of the old and a coming to life of the new. It is a call to engage in a lifestyle of repentance so that the creation changes. There's a big climate conference that's going to happen in Glasgow in this coming week. We ought to pay attention to it. Because you know and I know that the climate changes. Some people are climate deniers, but they just deny it's not true that the climate is not. It is fundamentally changing, and we need to be 
responsible for it. We need to engage in repentance. So we should pay attention. We should learn. And we should understand. And we should obey the calling of God to have dominion. So Paul is writing to Timothy. And what he's trying to do with Timothy is he's trying to motivate him. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that you may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now you know I'm an introvert. What I have done is I've underlined that in red. Think about that for a moment. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, so think for a moment now about Paul's desire to motivate Timothy, to get Timothy up out of his comfort zone and to get him engaged and to get him to guard the gospel and to proclaim the gospel and, and to talk about the grace that has been his from before time began. What would you do to motivate someone? Well, think about some of the motivations in the life of Martin Luther. I'm, I'm going to put it in four F's, so it's easy for me to remember and maybe you to remember too. 
His father motivated him. His father was a part mine owner in Germany. And his father had an ambition to grow the family business to become wealthy and influential. And he thought that if his son went to school and became a lawyer, he could help in the family business. And Martin agreed and obeyed. And he began to go to school. Because his father wanted him to become a lawyer. His father motivated and influenced him. But then fear raised its head. In one of his journeys back and forth between university and home, Martin ended up in a violent thunderstorm. He did something that wasn't very smart in that thunderstorm. He hid himself under a tree. That's not where you want to go in a thunderstorm. But he hid himself under a tree and he was so afraid of dying and so afraid of standing in the presence of a holy almighty God who knew every thought that he desperately prayed, Saint Anna, save me and I will become a monk. And he lived. So he forsook law and he became a monk much to his father's outrage. And as a monk, he became a student of the scriptures. And then his faith began to motivate and influence him. Because as he studied the scriptures, he came across this whole concept of grace. Now, if you read the 95 theses, most of those theses deal with the practice of indulgence. And indulgence was something that the Catholic Church at the time would sell to anyone who could afford to buy it. And you could buy an indulgence for yourself and your deceased grandfather or mother or whoever you wanted. And the indulgence, if you purchased it from the church, would open up the doors of purgatory and allow a person's soul to escape and to be in heaven. Tetzel had a song, when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. The result was that the Pope could continue the building of St. Peter's Basilica, which is still the largest church in the world. And Luther began to study scripture, and he came across this concept of grace, which is undeserved favor. If you look at the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And Martin Luther became uh, convicted of the, the, the just shall live by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. And so he began to oppose the teaching of the church, which got him into trouble. And so he was invited to a meeting of the church and he was asked to recant. He was asked to say, oops, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I was wrong. And he asked for the night to think about it and he came back the next day and he said, unless it can be showed to me from Holy Scripture that I am wrong, I cannot recant, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. And at that particular point, there was no going back. The Pope would have arrested him and executed him, but his good friend Frederick of the Palatinate rescued him and took him to the castle of Wartburg, where he 
translated the scriptures from Latin into German or the New Testament from Latin into German so that people could understand it in their own language. Things changed because he was motivated by his faith. He was also motivated by his family. When he left the priesthood, when he left being a monk, he, he met and married Catherine van Buren, who was a, a nun who had also left the convent. And this is what he said about what motivated him to marry Catherine. To please my father, to rile the pope, to make the angels laugh and the devils weep. Put that on a wedding invitation. <laughs> you know, to please my father, to rile the pope, to make the angels laugh and the devils weep. So that's what motivated Well, and those are parts of the things that motivate His father, fear, faith, and family. What motivated Timothy? Or what motivated Paul to write to Timothy? Well, he says, I am certain of this, that he in whom I believe will guard and keep me. And so he talks to Timothy about the reality of God being almighty and eternal. This grace that is ours from before the beginning of time. From before the beginning of time, God knew you if you are in Christ and are a new creation. It's just a mind-blowing concept, actually. It's probably too difficult to grapple with and to understand, but we can ponder it from time to time. And he talks about that, that reality of this good God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross so that death could be destroyed. And he says to Timothy, you need to know this good God. And so he invites Timothy into an understanding of God's faithfulness. God has made a commitment and he has kept a commitment throughout history. And Timothy is referred to his grandmother Eunice and to his mother Lois. He says, remember that God is faithful and he works through the generations. He works through the generations. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and God made a promise. I will bless you and I will bless your seed and you will have a son and he will crush the head of the serpent while his own heel will be bruised. Makes reference to the coming of Jesus, his death on the cross, his wounding but his victory over Satan and sin and death. He made that promise to Adam and Eve. And then he comes to Abraham, the father of all believers, and he says, and in you and in your descendants, all the earth will be blessed. And that blessing continues to unfold through the people of Israel. And now it comes through Paul, and Paul comes to the Gentiles. And you can read in Acts chapter 15 about the struggle that, that they had. Could you invite a Gentile into the Christian faith? Should the Gentile first become a Jew? No. Because grace knocks down all those barriers. 
Grace removes all those barriers. And grace comes to enfold in the, the wonder, and you can read about it in the book of Revelation, when all the wealth of and the riches of all the cultures will be brought into the new heaven and the new earth, and, and there will be a, a multifaceted cultural experience of worship. It's not all going to be washed away. It's going to be gathered together to praise the Lord in a whole variety of different ways. God works through the generations, and Timothy, he has worked through your grandmother, and he's worked through his mother, and I am convinced, he says, that faith now lives in you because that faith has been handed on from one generation to the next. One of the great blessings of the development of the movable type printing press by Gutenberg and by others was that pamphlets could be produced. Summaries of the gospel could be produced. I read an article this week, I forget the name of the author now, but it was written in the Atlantic, and it talked about the fragmentation of evangelicalism in North America. And one of the points in the, in the uh, article was this, is that the church has dropped the ball as far as discipleship making is concerned. And here I take personal, some personal responsibility, not just my, exclusively my own, but I was part of it. About 30 years ago, we no longer began to teach catechism on Tuesday nights. Nor did we expect young people to remember and to memorize question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. I bet you a whole bunch of you who are 70 years of age like me remember having to do that. Right? right. You remember? Having, and question and answer 21. What is true faith that not only others but I too have been granted salvation? This article said, we forsook catechesis or catechism and catechism is just simply an asking of an important question and providing a succinct answer. For entertainment, one of the youth pastors in uh, Abbotsford who I talked to some years ago said, we have now involved in edutainment. We hope that people learn something by having fun. Well, nothing wrong with that. But there is something really, really, really important about knowing the content of the faith so that your gut and your heart is not hollowed out. And so I'm going to invite you to sit down with your children and learn the catechism again. I invite you to be motivated to do that because it will summarize for you and implant within your heart the truth, the summary of the truth of the gospel. Because God works through families and individuals. The faith is passed on from one generation to the next. So God's faithfulness is a key. And we need to celebrate that and recognize that. But we are also called to be faithful. Timothy was called to be faithful. Timothy was told, was challenged by Paul. He says, fan into flame the gift that is in you 
with the laying on of my hands. You, you get this whole idea, and I know many people have camped over the years. You get the whole idea that there's a, a, a smoldering fire. There's a few embers, but there's not a roaring flame. And we all like roaring flames. And so Timothy is invited to fan into flame, to bring it up into a robust sense of power and presence, to fan into flame the gift that is in you by the laying on of hands. Note that every one of us who is in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts. That is a significant ability to do something well for God and for his kingdom. You have that gift. Fan it into flame and make a difference. So step out. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. You have not been given a spirit of timidity. But the Holy Spirit lives within you to enable you to have love and power and self-discipline. says so right in the, in the word, to have love and power and self-discipline. To love is not just simply a feeling, but it's a decision. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. You have power. Power to stand up and make a difference. How many of you have ever heard of a place called Koinonia Farms? Anyone? No. There was a man by the name of Clarence Jordan who was a New Testament scholar and he and a small group of people got together in America's Georgia in the mid-1950s. So about 65 years ago. They got together in America's Jordan, or Georgia and they, they established a farm. Koinonia, it was fellowship, fellowship farms. And they, they tried to make a cultural difference Black laborers and white laborers on the farm were paid the same wage. That was unheard of. Black laborers and black and white laborers sat at table and ate the same meal. That was unheard of. The Ku Klux Klan came to visit, burned everything down. The next morning, one of the Klan's members, who was also the reporter for the local paper, came now as the reporter for the local paper and interviewed Clarence Jordan as he was hoeing the garden and trying to repair some of the damage. And the reporter asked him, says, don't you know that you will never succeed? Why don't you quit? At which point, Jordan leaned on his hoe and looked the guy in the eye and said, it is not about success. It is about being faithful to God and to his word. Jordan dies of a heart attack in 1969, but just before he came or to death, 
He had written, some of you may have seen this, the Cotton Patch Gospel. Have you ever seen the Cotton? It's a wonderful musical if you ever get a chance to watch it. But before that, a couple came to his, uh, the ranch or to the farm. Their marriage was in trouble. They got counseling. Their lives were restored. They were very wealthy, and they began a ministry of helping out poor people. And you will know the name of that ministry. It's called Habitat for Humanity. See, it's not about success. It is about faithfulness. It is about fanning into flame the gift that God has given. And so how do we respond? Well, we can move away from just simply keeping our head down on our technology. We can lift up our eyes and we can see people and we can share with them our faith journey. We say, well, it's not very impressive. I don't care. My dad used to say, the Lord can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Your simple story about Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, your simple story may spark a life because it is by God's grace that the gospel thrives. God is faithful. He's calling us to be faithful too. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you for people like Paul who were courageous and forthright and determined and who sought to pass on that courage and determination to people like Timothy, people like us, who are often reserved, a little fearful. Well, we thank you that 504 years ago on this day, a person stood up for the heart of the gospel and guarded it by sacrifice and challenged people to think for themselves and they began a movement that still sweeps along to this day. Help us to be participants in that movement. Help us to recognize that repentance isn't just simply saying sorry for sin, but that repentance involves a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction for the honor and the glory of your name and for the coming of your kingdom. So inspire us to fan into flame the gifts that you have given to us so that we make it, may make a difference in this world. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.